we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. You're listening to Done By Law. Brought to you by the Federation of Community Legal Centres. Good evening. Uh, you're listening to Done By Law on 3CR, 855 AM. Uh, it's Tuesday, the 20, 20th of April, 2021. My name is Dylan and I'm joined by my co-host, Erin. We'd like to start this program by acknowledging the traditional custodians on the land in which 3CR is broadcasting, and that's the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge the ongoing dispossession and oppression of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, and we stand together with them in the fight for sovereignty. Always was and always will be Aboriginal land. In tonight's program, uh, we're discussing the Victorian government's $188 million expansion of the Dame Phyllis Frost Centre, also known as DPFC, a maximum security women's prison in Melbourne's West. The expansion will increase the prison's capacity and include new solitary confinement units. We're joined today by Adriana and Yasmin, uh, two women who are involved in the Homes Not Prisons campaign, a campaign that's demanding a stop to the expansion of the Dame Phyllis Frost Centre and the diversion of funds from that project to build public housing. Um, Adriana and Yasmin, welcome to Done By Law. Um, can I ask you to introduce yourselves to our audience, please? Sure. Thank you so much for having us. Um, I'd also like to acknowledge that we're on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations and we pay our respects to elders past, present um, and emerging and that sovereignty was never ceded. Um, my name is Adriana. I'm an outreach and support worker um, with working with women who have been incarcerated or in the criminal league, like within the criminal legal system. And this yeah. <laughs> I'm Yasmin. I am a program support worker. Um, so I, I help the team with any tasks that they need to be done. And I'm also our intake worker. So I do the initial uh, intake interviews with the women that we support. So we work for an abolitionist organisation called Flat Out and a part of the Homes Not Prisons um, coalition campaign to stop the expansion of DPFC. That's excellent. Thanks so much, Adriana and Yasmin. Thank you for your time in coming along today. Could you tell our listeners just a bit more about this campaign, so the Homes Not Prisons campaign? Yeah, sure. Um, so we are very against the $1.8 million expansion into DPFC, which will increase the capacity by 106 new cells or beds. Um, which equals, which means that more women are going to be incarcerated. Um, we really are calling for the Andrews government to divert that funding into public housing instead of prison cells. And um, yeah, that we're we're really passionate about them not 
increasing capacity in an already um, already difficult space for women. Um, yeah. So uh, Adriana and Yaz, um, thanks again for joining. Um, just curious if you could explain a bit more about when you said an abolitionist uh, organization, what what that means? Um, so we we are against the the entire carceral system. Um, that we believe that prisons aren't the answer, and that there are better ways to address the harms that that are in this world. Um, a lot of the people that are incarcerated are are in there for trauma responses, for survival mode, and and the way that they are being treated in a carceral system is just further creating more harm to themselves and to other people. We, as an organisation, really um, strive to be trauma-informed and to work with a person for their with their best interests in mind. Um, prison's never really the answer. It's it's public health a lot of the time and housing. And yeah, so we're, we're looking at how to respond to a system that is very punishment-based from a completely different lens. Thanks so much. Um, so that really kind of has already drawn us into some of the specific questions that we had around women and in, imprisonment. Um, so what are the particular issues that face women and their families when women are incarcerated? Um, I'll, I'll answer this one. Um, so women that incarcerated a lot of the time, uh, kids are taken out of their care, um, you know, due to sometimes no fault of the woman's own um, a lot of the time a lot of the women that we support that have been incarcerated have significant history of family violence um, which leads into you know mental health issues AOD um, homelessness um, and you know women are being punished for surviving and and yeah they they lose access to their kids and then it's really hard to rebuild the family unit once they're released. Mm. Often they're not given the adequate amounts of visitation with kids, um, access to their kids, access to medication for their mental health, for, for drug and alcohol. Um, they lose housing, they lose supports, they lose family, yeah. um, they lose community around them. So when a woman goes into prison, um, the entire family unit is really quite disrupted then, um, and often it sounds like in ways that are very, very difficult to repair. Absolutely. That being the case, so there's all this disruption that occurs to the family unit. What does then life look like when you're trying to exit the prison system? So there's an end date for most people, um, and then you're looking at leaving prison. What does that look like? So, you know, when when women are in prison or people in prison um they lose if, if they're housed they can lose their housing so um once when they are released um they may be able to access two nights of motel accommodation um sometimes they're released straight 
into homelessness. Um, if they are um, released to a, a motel for two nights, they then have to uh, make access with the housing access point. Um, <laughs> which presents its own issues. Um, yeah. It's it's incredibly difficult when some people are leaving and don't have community um, ties, some get released without any support whatsoever, and then to be told you have to call an access point um, who will then undergo a, an, an assessment process Sometimes if you have a criminal record, that'll exclude you from types of housing. So you're already essentially blacklisted just by having a, a record. Um, the housing options for people are, and for women and, and gender non-conforming and, and people in LGBTQI+, they're really unsafe options. Um, we're seeing women with extensive trauma histories being forced into rooming houses with only men in them. Um, and any pushback you give as a support worker, they are, they're not, they're, they're just ignored. Um, when a person continues to ask for their basic human rights of, of a place to sleep, um, for a home, for support, they are often met with, um, uh, it's, it's really difficult because they're often met with, with judgment, judgment, um, stigmatization, blame, blame, um, and they are filled with shame for the things that they really shouldn't have to be filled with shame about. Yeah. So, there's not a lot for them to to then continue getting support. Um, and I guess that's a large part of why we believe di diverting this funding into support and into housing would create um, better outcomes for people and for women, particularly like that are incarcerated. Um, it would create safety and they would be able to get out of survival mode for sometimes the first time in their entire lives. Yeah. It definitely sounds like you've got a, a tough job to do and you're doing a tough job in an environment where there's not many options. Um, now, I understand, uh, Yasmin, that you have had your own experiences with the criminal justice system and and the housing system uh, and that's part of the reason you got involved in in flat outs work are, are you able to tell our listeners a little bit more about your experiences and why you've become involved yeah absolutely um so i was in a pretty horrific family violent relationship uh for about six years um when him and I separated, um, he kidnapped my daughter and, and that just sent me down a path of, of homelessness and, and really heavy drug addiction. Um, I think my way of surviving and, and protecting myself was to surround myself with people that... Um, I wouldn't have usually surrounded myself with and 
got involved in a bit of criminal activity and, and whatnot. Um, I, after about 12 months of being homelessness, I ended up being arrested and, and oh, I'd been arrested multiple times, but um, got arrested and, and chucked in DPFC. Um, that for me, and I'm sure for a lot of women, um, was very scary. Uh, I'd never been to jail before, so I was a first-timer. Um, I was withdrawing off drugs. I received no medical care, um, and I was chucked in a cell in the middle of the night and left to my own devices. Um, and, yeah, I, I, you know, wanted to cry, but I heard somebody else crying and heard other people in the cells telling her to be quiet for lack of being able to swear on this show <laughs> <laughs> and that she was going to get her head caved in in the morning if she didn't stop. So I felt like I had to just shut my mouth and, and take it on the chin. Um, I didn't receive any, any medication I was supposed to be on. Um, I, I, I was chucked in the slot for witnessing a fight um, that... I had no involvement in and I was chucked in the slot because I was in the same vicinity and I wouldn't tell the prison guards who was fighting. Um, yeah, so um, I was released into an unsafe situation with uh, the father of my ex-partner and um, after about a week of being there, I, I put myself back on the street because it was much safer um, than living with my violent ex's father who was also violent so yeah um I participated in a homelessness protest at City Square a couple of years ago probably about four years ago now um and out of that managed to get 27 people housed into various different types of accommodation and I was one of them uh and got into transitional housing and was able to start getting my life on track and get clean and get my kids back and then studied and ran into roadblocks there because of my criminal record and nobody taking me on for placement because I couldn't get a working with children's check and then found flat out and here I am. <laughs> Such an incredible story, Yasmin. Um, thank you so much for sharing that with us and with our listeners, like really okay. inspirational. Um, what I'm hearing really clearly from your story and from what you've said so far is this trajectory of women becoming criminalised in the first place because of trauma and a lack of access to services, um, with the criminalisation going into the prison system, becoming more traumatised, not receiving appropriate care, and then, as you've already kind of indicated, then they're, they're released eventually, maybe with two nights accommodation and maybe with nothing at all. Um, so what would affordable public housing and access to that mean, both for the cohort of women who become criminalised um, and for women who are exiting the prison system? Well, I think I'll take that one. Um, I think my, my kind of story outlines it all. You know, I think if being released into affordable, safe housing or having affordable and safe housing... Um, just it really gives, like Adriana said before, a, a women and 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 you know the LGBTIQ plus community um, an opportunity to to feel safe for possibly the first time 
in their life. Um, you know, and, and, you know, once you have a house over your head and you feel safe, you can, you can sort out your mental health issues. You can get the right kind of support. You can um, work out, you know, start working out your AOD use and, and getting help with that. And if you have children, you can, you can start rebuilding your life and your family again. And I think, that option isn't there for a lot of people. And, and you know, just, just safe housing is so, so important for anybody, in particular women, um, and, and helping them, you know, feel safe and in control of their life. It gives them dignity and respect. Yeah. Um, it, it's, I guess, you know, to go back to like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if you don't have your physiological needs addressed, you can't work on other aspects of your life. Like, you know, the amount of times when you when you do work with people who are unhoused, you'll hear comments from people saying, why don't they just get a job? And it's like, do you understand how difficult it would be to gain a job? Like I have friends that will go to multiple job applications from their house and, and not be able to get a job, mm-hmm. let alone when you have to stay awake the entire night because you're sleeping rough on a concrete floor. Um, when you are so concerned about your own safety, she needs um or you're experiencing family violence and other yeah. forms of violence it's um housing is is everything it's mm-hmm. it allows people to live mm-hmm. it's yeah it's just so important and, and particularly for the the women that we work with I haven't worked with one woman in in the time that I've been working in homelessness um that hasn't endured such tremendous amounts of trauma from either you know recent trauma or or historical trauma sometimes it's you know it intergenerational trauma there's a lot of trauma and you can't address it when you're going from rooming house to rooming house or you know emergency accommodation and having to beg services for for one night accommodation and being told it's too much, they're funding, you know, they don't have enough funding for you. It's people's lives we're talking about. Um, And I guess that's, this is why people end up back in prison is because they don't have housing. They don't have places to go. Um, I read an article about when the Gatwick closed down. Um, Every single woman from the Gatwick ended up being incarcerated again. You know, what would have happened if they were housed adequately um, in in affordable public housing, not not community housing, not rooming um, houses, rooming houses, like rooming houses are disgusting (laughs) and disgusting. Um, Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't put an animal in them. Why would you put human beings that have endured the the amount of trauma? yeah. It, it definitely sounds like it's such an obvious decision there for the government to invest in public housing. And it seems yeah. so unusual uh, that there's a decision made to put money into prisons rather than um, something that is so fundamental to people's livelihoods. Um, what would you say... Uh, Adriana and Yasmin, to the people 
who would suggest that money should go into the prison system, that uh, someone could be rehabilitated through incarceration. Um, what, what would you say to that? Um, I'd probably ask them to, to speak to people that have been incarcerated, first of all, um, and actually learn from the folks who, who are impacted the most by incarceration um, to begin with. Um, second of all, I would say that reforming a, a system that is fundamentally broken on all the levels, um, there is no rehabilitation in prisons. Um, we have people that aren't able to access, access healthcare in prisons, um, not able to access mental health support, AOD support, um, all of these things that would address and assist them to be able to get rehabilitated, it, it, that's not there. So you can't, you can't fix something that is just totally broken. And punishment doesn't work. We've seen that. It's, it's this archaic way of looking and in these like Western cultures that we have that we're like, oh, this person did a bad, let's send them to jail and they will get better. It's like, that's actually not what happens. Yeah. Um, we need to start critically looking at what will change people from causing harm and address these reasons. Um, a lot of the people that are in jail, and we were reading something before, I think 40% of people in DPFC currently, they're not even sentenced. We have people in there that are there for the pettiest, smallest of crimes that, you know, if I was to walk down the street, I don't know if I would, I would have the same, they would treat me the same mm -hmm. because of my, I don't have that record. And, and that's, that's a broken system. You can't, you can't, you can't fix it. Yeah. Whereas <laughs> if I did it, yeah. you know, Adriana and I both work together in professional roles. Yeah. Um, but if I was to walk into a shop and, and steal something, I would more than likely be arrested and either released on bail or chucked in jail. Yeah. And, you know, it, it just, it, yeah, it, it's beyond flawed. Yeah, so flawed. So, yeah, I would really like them to meet some some of the people that prison actually impacts mm -hmm. um, and see what that does. And, yeah, I think they would change their mind. Yeah, absolutely. And ironically, some of the things that you've already said, so if you're released from prison, you're then left out on the streets often, you don't have any place to go, you don't, you're not going to have any decent supply of money with which to purchase things that you need. All of those conditions lead into recriminalisation. Um, Absolutely. So, you know, yeah. Um, Adriana and Yasmin, would you mind um, just talking to us about the overrepresentation of Aboriginal women in the criminal justice system and what that means for the campaign? Absolutely. So Aboriginal women are the fastest growing population of incarcerated people on this earth, um, which is an absolute atrocity like it's it's disgusting where the ongoing colonization and dispossession to their lands um has now got them incarcerated at much higher rates than they should ever be incarcerated um they should never be incarcerated i 
I want to preface that. Um, so with this build, more beds, more people incarcerated. If Aboriginal women are the, the most incarcerated people on earth, who's going to be filling those beds? Yeah. So we have a, we really disagree with it on, on multiple levels. Um, while we're on that topic also, I might just quickly ask about what that means for the removal of children from Aboriginal women. Yeah. So as Yaz was speaking about just before, the amount of um, kids that are taken from their families and mothers, um, the amount of women with children, it's, it's like over half of women that are incarcerated. Um, so the removal then and an interception by child protection is is at levels that I think the public would be very surprised with. It's ongoing stolen generations and it is it's deplorable. We yeah. there needs to be a stop to it and the government needs to start listening to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders about what they're wanting to see and start putting in some action instead of increasing beds. It, it's not good enough. Thank you so much for your time today. This has been a really great interview. I've loved talking to you both. Um, could you just let our listeners know how to get involved with your campaign? Should they be interested in doing so? Absolutely. So our website is coming soon. So if you are on Facebook, we've got a, a private group called Homes Not Prisons Coalition, or you can contact us via our email at homesnotprisons at gmail.com. Um, but we will have our website coming up soon and on Instagram and Twitter and all the socials. Much for having us today. And we've, we've really enjoyed being able to hopefully um, put some perspective to people and, um, yeah, get some more people involved in our campaign. Thank you so much for the chat. <laughs> Good luck and thank you. Thanks for listening to 3CR Radical Radio 855 on your AM dial. You've been listening to Erin and Dylan on Done By Law and we have been chatting with Adriana and Yasmin from Flat Out, both of whom are involved with the Homes Not Prisons campaign, which is a campaign demanding a stop to the expansion of the Dame Phyllis Frost Centre, um, a maximum security prison in the west of Melbourne, uh, and for that money to be diverted to public housing instead. Um, so we're now going to move to a community announcement. Please stay tuned um, and do hit up uh, the Homes Not Prisons Facebook group and their website, which is forthcoming if you want to get involved in that campaign.